Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> I'm here with Lindsay and Chad and David. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hey. Hello. Thanks so much for uh, taking some minutes to talk with us. And um, there's like some pretty significant transitions going on at Vineyard and Springbrook and specifically with Chad. So um, I don't know who wants to break the ice here, but um, tell us get tell us the news. What's happening? Chad, you should break it. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I'll break it. <laughs> um, so in September, after some months long process um, with me and my wife discerning and pressing in, um, we have decided to move to Atlanta. And so what that kind of looks like coming up is um, I'll be on staff full time at Vineyard Springbrook um, till the end of the year. And then in January, at most until March, I'll be in a part time process while Springbrook is working through a process of uh, finding someone to replace me. Impossible. Replace. I said <laughs> But, um, and so basically that means I'll be here on Sunday, Mondays and Tuesdays and then going back down to Atlanta to be with my lovely bride. Wow. Okay. So this yeah. is a loaded question. Lindsay Mizell, <laughs> your, your thoughts? Uh, um, yeah, I am leading with excitement because I always do and I am so <laughs> I am so excited for Chad um, he can say more about this but w- this has been uh, a multi-month slash multi-year process mm-hmm. for him and so honestly like from a spring perspective he stayed with us way longer than I expected we disagree on how many years I asked for and he promised but all we agreed on is that COVID did not count as one of those years <laughs> Um, I, I don't know if I agreed on that, but I'll let well, you have it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let it happen. Um, <laughs> so um, I've, I've told people I, f- I feel like we got Chad longer than I ever dreamed mm-hmm. that we would. Um, and I'm excited. I love what he's doing next. I feel like he's um, discerned and found something that feels very him and um, very much like the gifts that we've all experienced yeah. from him and seeing him. and. Um, so it makes me really excited. I think it is exciting for Springbrook because Chad has been um, challenging us from the stage. I mean, our, he's been doing this with our staff, uh, all of us, to to take risks and to try. And like the mm-hmm. John Wimber that Faith has spelled R-I-S-K and mm-hmm. Chad's kind of been calling us on it. And, yep. um, and so I think for our whole organization, it's a good thing for us to watch somebody put their money where their mouth is a little bit. Uh-huh. And risk, and um, so I love that, and that makes me really excited. And then personally, I am just in a real situation with grief that <laughs> I don't even have words for. I am yeah. so sad, yeah. and um, yeah, we make great partners. And uh, I've told Chad when he was trying to discern that it's like I couldn't really hear anything, and and that's all I knew. It was like we make great partners. What, what in the world? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that just makes it a really sad thing for me yeah. personally. When when I first, well, Chad, I'm going to ask you specifically about this in a minute. But yeah. there's always been a there's always been a next like a next step swirling around in the background, like for years. Like mm-hmm. you know, as long as you've been talking about ministry, that's been it's kind of been on the horizon. It's why you didn't necessarily expect to have him forever, right? At right. Springbrook. Um, but then a few months ago, we sat and talked about. You know, you were 
kicking around this idea. Is Atlanta part of the future? And then, so I don't know how many, several weeks ago now, um, I got the word that that was happening. <laughs> and my first thought, honestly, was, oh, I'm really sad for Lindsay. <laughs> my, my second thought was, oh, this is going to be a tough challenge for Springbrook as they transition. Um, and I, not very in touch with my emotions, didn't even think about it for me personally. Mm -hmm. And then, like, we had an all-staff meeting, and Chad just walked in, and I was just heartbroken. <laughs> it just came all at once, and Man. I was like, I'm going to cry for no reason. Um, well, like, I think in that, though, like, even for me... Um with the guy in New York who's been coaching me and giving me some direction on this stuff, um, Seth Boussel, he was like, hey, you need to learn to take time to grieve. And I'm mm. like, oh, I'm a guy that pops up. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy that moves forward. And like each room I enter into and each conversation I have is like a little cut mm. because it's, it's, I can feel like the beginning of that distance that yeah. um, naturally happens. And so taking time to grieve through this process and mm -hmm. allowing it and and being intentional about meeting with people and telling them how big of an impact they have on me and then in relationships that need some reconciliation going and mm. trying trying to find some like uh, this process I thought it would be easier but um, each room I walk into each time I stand up on the stage at Springbrook it's like a small sad cut mm -hmm. um, and I think the biggest thing that um I told people on that Monday, I had to tell Lindsay, um, we met at Vienna and um, it's so true. I told Springbrook this, it was like telling my best friend and what I consider Lindsay one of my best friends. It's like, hey, I won't be working here anymore. And mm -hmm. that is, although all the exciting things, it is sad and it hurts. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you may be listening to this and maybe you saw me and Chad meeting at Vienna one day and I was a crying ball of weeping mess. Chances are that's what, yeah, what was going on. Yeah. You were there and if you were wondering what was wrong, it was this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. Um I love that you just said the grief thing. One of the gifts of being close to you in this time, and I think that anyone, I'm not trying to turn this into a lesson, but like anyone could learn from this. Be a pastor, it's is, okay. <laughs> is that Jazz has been carrying around essentially like a note where he will pause in the middle of a conversation and wait and say, hold on, stop. And then he'll write something down. I'm like, what are you writing down? And he was like, I have to grieve that later. Like, mm -hmm. I want to come back oh, to that wow. and I want to feel that. And so when yeah. he's saying those little cuts, he is doing that. And then I'm learning because I, um, Someone last week described me as uh, confetti, uh, and that's how I want to experience the world as sparkles and confetti. It's amazing how much I understood that. <laughs> it was just a one-word one description, right? Like, yes. It, so yeah. grief is 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 often feels intangible to me, and so there's something so kind about someone saying, "This is what I'm doing," and so I'm finding myself like, "Oh, I need to. Oh, I, I'm going to write that down too. Like yeah. I need to grieve that too." Yeah. So I think we buried the lead. Um, what the heck are you doing in Atlanta? <laughs> Why would you go there? Yeah. <laughs> we covered someone, that. Someone asked him, if, are you going because you're mad at yourself? And that's why you want to go in all of that traffic. <laughs> exactly. To be a Hawks fan? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I have transitioned my NBA fandom to the Hawks. I had to get approval from local authorities, Chris Sigmund specifically. Um, but no, um, so me and my wife, uh, so my wife's a Georgia girl. She went to Athens for college and her family's there. And we always, since the time we dated, um, 
took time to go to Atlanta and we took vacations there. And, and whenever you do that new thing, whenever you get married of, oh, where's someplace that you would like to live? Me and my wife have only been married for three years now. And so basically, uh, so 2020 was filled with like, hey, I could see us living there one day. And both of us resonated with Atlanta. It was like the only place that was like top three on our list. And so we were always like, huh, so one day that could be a place. But um, so basically back in February, I went through this process. Um, there's someone who headhunted my wife for a cranial neurosurgery job. My sure. wife is brilliant. Like do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I had to Google that when you no, told yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. and, so, and so my wife's a physician assistant. And, um, and so um, we entered the process of discerning. And that job was on and off for months. It looked like they weren't going to offer it. Um, but um, even still, we were balanced in it. We were just listening to the Lord. Um, and then about May, the reality of it came back up. And they wanted to come interview and go through this process. Um, but at the same time, there's always been rumblings in me. Mm-hmm. And during that time, there's this uh, verse that I have. Uh, verses weren't sticking out to me. And God wasn't saying anything about this move. Mm. about the possibilities about he is silent i have stuck up for god so much in the ministry of i think he's the most talkative person <laughs> this mm-hmm. idea that god's just a silent guy i think it's false he is mm-hmm. a talkative god but he was not talking about this to me <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. and so that was so weird to me um but the only verse that ever stood out to me was in matthew 13 the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is hid in a field when a man found it he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the only thing that was inside of my head during this whole process and then um, and so um, and and so I hung on to that verse Lord whether you want me to stay or go I think this verse is a part of my life yeah and so we went throughout this process and man the Lord it even got further. My wife had interviewed. They'd offered her job. We had a week. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Jesus, you haven't spoken to either of us? Mm-hmm. Where are you? What are you doing? And I remember in the process of it, we were praying for people at Springbrook at one of our Holy Spirit nights. And I'm praying over this person. And Jesus tells me this person is going to move in the future. It told me where they were going to move. <laughs> My wife wasn't there. I went home and I said, you cannot believe this. <laughs> Jesus told me that um, that um, that um, this guy is going to move to this place, and come to find out after that, he had been like like he went for a job interview in that place, uh, and like uh. and 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 like I'm like, what's God doing here? <laughs> I don't get this at all. He's going to speak to me about that, but right. he won't speak to me. Um, and so throughout that process, he he just never said a word to us. Um, and then I met with that Seth Bussell guy. Mm-hmm. He was directing me, and I go and he asks, "Who has God been to you in this season?" And I was like, "Huh, silent." Hmm. And he goes, "Well, you know what happens when God was silent in the Old Testament, right?" I was like, "Nope, I do not know." <laughs> um, um, he goes, "The idols raged." Mm. And what he said, what idols do you have right now that are yelling at you? Wow. And so um, I was like, comfort, comfort and pleasure. Mm. I love to be comfortable. And I like the idea of comfort and pleasure being safe and secure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was something I was fighting in this. The second one was certainty. Ah, 
love it. And meeting with this guy, I think this past week, he was like the biggest idol that the church all over the world has a certainty right now. Wow. Um, and so basically I entered into that myself. Yeah, I want certainty. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and then I looked at him, I go, but there's one more. It's, I want God to make this decision for me so the responsibility is not on me. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So basically when I look in the eyes of the people I love, I can be like, well, God told me, guys. <laughs> yeah. Peace out. I'm gone. My Are you going to argue with God? <laughs> yeah. Are you going to argue with Jesus on this? Um, but, um, but in the midst of that, I saw that, and I just heard the Lord speak to me. I want you to make this decision. Yeah. I'll bless it either way. That's good. And in the midst of that, me and my wife looked at our lives, and I met with some people in Atlanta, some uh, pastors specifically, and there's not many people that can go to Atlanta and move into the city center of Atlanta, like downtown, mm-hmm. and plant churches. Mm-hmm. And luckily, with uh, financially, with um, the money my wife makes at a PA, this is a risk that we could feasibly take mm-hmm. to go and do that. And we looked at that as we need to steward that. Mm-hmm. Also, my call, I've always loved church planning. I've always loved the idea of being a missionary some, someplace. Um, and we looked at our life and we're just like, I think we're at a great time to risk. Mm-hmm. And one of the decisions in making that, we still want to be connected with the vineyard here so that in a sense, we can model everything we've always talked about here. Yeah. Taking sacrifice, taking risks. Mm-hmm. And, so, um, and so then we made the decision to leave and go to Atlanta. And for me, um, specifically what we're going, going to be doing in Atlanta, starting out, it's going to look like more of a missionary. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to spend a lot of time with lost people. Yeah. And I love that because um, I was a lost, peop- lost person for 21 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And only for the last 14 years have I known Jesus and walked with Jesus, but I really get lost people. Mm-hmm. I really get their pains and what they're thinking and what they went through. And I find myself whenever I go out to spaces now, I really resonate with people who don't know Jesus mm-hmm. because there's still parts of me which are lost mm-hmm. in, yeah. in a sense. And with my own lostness for 21 years, I can resonate with them. And so, um, and so it's going to look like having a lot of spirit ritual conversations, trying to start some churches with some lost people and see how that grows and, mm-hmm. and how the church arises out of that in Elena and how we can bless Elena. And so that's kind of what the work is going to look like mm. and why we're going. So, um, I mean, it's just a little bit more about that because yep. I, as you were talking, I, I was remembering years ago, you might know how many years, but you and I were talking to Steve Nicholson and talking about your desire to have an impact that meant not planning one or two churches, but lots of churches. Yeah. Um, and he talked about being a coach mm-hmm. and how coaches have uh, are, can reach into the lives of lots and lots of people and are involved in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just that's where my mind went as you were talking. But I, have you thought about that um, in this process? And is is part of what you're picturing uh, as far as doing ministry in Atlanta, coaching other people and mm-hmm. releasing them to plant churches, that type of thing? Yeah. So basically, we're we are going to start with a group of Christians um, and teach them principles of how to reach out to lost people, how to pray. Mm-hmm. how to live where you 
live, work, learn, and play and represent Jesus. Mm -hmm. So we are gonna start with a very small group around that. And we're gonna take some time and develop some healthy rhythms, some DNA into that. Mm -hmm. But but the second thing is like, I don't know, as a pastor, I spend so much time in the church with Christians and coaching Christians Mm -hmm. that um, I want to be like, yeah, we're going to do that, but I'm gonna spend a lot of time with lost people. Right. See them come to know Jesus and look at them and be and just tell them, hey, you can do what we're doing right now also. Yeah. Because they have a sphere of influence that I'm not a part of. Mm-hmm. They have people that they can gather. And so instead of me going into their spaces and saying, here, everyone, follow me, it's sending them back into the, those spaces in which they resonate more, it's their culture, mm-hmm. and then they can go and build the church in those areas. And that means that I will be there coaching them along the way. Mm-hmm. And so basically for us to see movement in a way that's not gathered around a person, but around the people, the church. Yeah. Um, and so coaching, man, I love coaching. Mm-hmm. And um, it seems like a great opportunity for me to be able to do that. Yeah. I think the coaching question is interesting too, because I also think um, it was funny when Chad was talking about not hearing from Jesus and mm-hmm. um, that was also my experience too. It's like, he's, you know, we've been talking about this for, months and months i'm also mm-hmm. praying one because chad is uh, a dear dear yeah. friend who i adore and it, this impacts us you know oh, yeah, and yeah. me and all of those things yeah. so i'm like i want to hear from jesus on this who was also being very quiet to me even <laughs> though i was demanding him say that east tennessee was the calling on chad's whole life forever <laughs> always 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 uh-huh. um but <laughs> um but one of the the day it was kind of the day before Chad was like tomorrow I'll have a decision we're get that Vienna meeting mm-hmm. and we're sitting in the parking lot outside of Springbrook and he basically was like have you heard anything and I was like the only thing that I've heard is I kept uh, like crying out to God like we're just getting started like I just felt like Chad and I as partners were just getting started mm-hmm. on stuff and I was like I just hear the Lord echoing it back to me like you're just getting started and I'm like. Oh, great. So he's staying, you know, right, like, uh-huh. that's what it means. And um, I was like, I don't think that's, I don't know what it means, but we're just getting started. Mm-hmm. And, and so when, as the decision came, it felt like um, I had a similar, similar experience to Chad that Jesus became very talkative mm-hmm. after the decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think um, a big piece of that, of that is um, how does Chad stay connected with us if we were just getting started. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so I feel like um, there is a partnership around coaching. Like that's a lot of what Chad was just getting started in is mm-hmm. coaching us on how to um, have spiritual conversations with, mm. with people that aren't in the church. How do we, uh, we do bless rhythms at Springbrook. It's like this big piece of who we are and he's a big piece of coaching that in us. And so I feel like coaching is also for our organization mm-hmm. uh, the way that we keep Mm-hmm. in connection yeah. with Chad and what he's doing. And I think it's so cool to be able to watch someone who like is on the front, like he's on the front end of it. We're going to see him succeed. We're going to see him fail. We're going to see that it's way slower than he thinks it is. And we think it is mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. And and so we get to kind of learn through friendship. And so I love, I like the coaching question. I mm-hmm. feel like that's a big key to our so future. say more about the transition overall, like what's this going to look like and what you're saying is, um, you know, Chad's going away, but he's not entirely going away. <laughs> so what what does that mean? So can you give us some? It could some be an idol. We don't know if that's what <laughs> Chad, Chad's our idol. Do you want to answer? Oh, this is you. Me. You um, okay. So 
essentially, um, what we've learned is that we feel like we work really well together. And what Chad has learned, and I don't want to, I, you can say this for yourself too, but what what Chad has said many times and what he continues to say is like, uh, we're family. The Vineyards is family. And, um, and so his interest has not been in leaving our organization. His interest has been in being sent by us. Mm -hmm. And so, um, because of that, that, that allows us to have a continued relationship. Chad and I meet every Monday for a couple of hours. And so one of my first questions was like, are we still going to meet on Mondays? (laughs) (laughs) What am I going to do with my Mondays now? You know? And, um, but, but it seems like, uh, the, I think the word, I think I use this with you, Aaron was, um, some sort of symbiotic relationship Mm -hmm. exists currently why would we change that like we exist to empower chad however he needs to be and if that means we need to let our hands go and Mm -hmm. leave him alone for a while then we'll do that but like i think what chad's saying is like he offers some training to us and then eventually he's gonna have people that he may want to bring up here and Mm -hmm. see what we're doing and and see how things go and so it feels like a um yeah just a it's it's friendship. I don't know friendship, another, yeah. another yeah, yeah. or a better word. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing ministry with Chad as our friends for as our friend for years now, and it sounds like hey, we're going to continue to do ministry together mm-hmm. um, yeah. as as friends and mm-hmm. keep pouring into each other's lives um, and then supporting each other along the way, however possible. Yeah. yeah. So I think if you're like listening to this and are like, am I ever going to see Chad again? It's like, yeah. yeah, you'll probably see him pop up. Who knows uh-huh. where? Yeah, and and I think the idea of going solo and doing something that it's lonely, and mm-hmm. I don't see it in the New Testament. There we go. Amen. I was just now thinking mm-hmm. of that. That's, I don't see it in the yeah. New Testament at all. What do you see? <laughs> oh gosh, I see people being sent out. I see them doing things together. I mm-hmm. see them splitting up whenever it's been whenever it's beneficial for the gospel mm-hmm. and all those things. And they and resource back and, yeah, and they resource and support right. one another throughout the whole thing. Um, and that picture, I, I like to say I'm a little bit of a purist. If I see in the new uh, in the New Testament, that's what I'm all about. And um, I've never gotten this idea of going out and just doing your own thing. Yeah. Um, I think God supports us whenever we do things together, and I think He's glorified in the unity of that. Man, so we're gonna so we're gonna follow the model we find in the Bible. <laughs> it's it. a new thing we're trying. If you yeah. have an issue with that, <laughs> great, please email <laughs> no reply at <laughs> I love it. Okay, so um, uh, how about a little bit of sort of practical realities, Lindsay? Yeah, yeah. Chad is a full time staff member. <laughs> he is. <laughs> well, there's some real aftermath yep. here. Let's talk about it. Yes, so um, he is. Chad's a full <laughs> full time staff member, and and we would like to replace him with a full time staff member, mm-hmm. um, which is honestly just sort of a side note, a really encouraging and exciting place to be for Springbrook that we mm-hmm. have multiple full time yes it is staff people pretty awesome so, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yes so so we're doing our first like. Of, we have high. We hired Chad. We've hired mm-hmm. Air. Yeah, but our first like, it's a, kind of a different process when you're looking for someone full time. So our first official mm-hmm. like, we're hiring someone, mm-hmm. and you know, I told Springberg, and I mean it for this. If if you've got a cousin 
that you know needs to apply for this job, then we want to know or mm-hmm. whoever, you know, barista. And what, and what is this job? So the job would be an associate pastor at mm-hmm. Springbrook. So a lot of uh, Chad's work is around core groups and um, he does a whole, whole lot of pastoring. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, lots of, I mean, it's like, indescribably long list but yes it is i think it's all exciting uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so we we put together a search team mm-hmm. um of, of folks for spring break and we're coming up with the process and it's all new for me luckily yeah. we have a johnny and mm-hmm. thank god yeah I know. <laughs> <laughs> is he the one that answers the no reply at vineyard church <laughs> 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 Well, most of what he does, he actually just asks Amy to do. So right. probably a thing. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. So, so we're no watching that. There. We're waiting to see. No, yeah, we're, we're waiting to see. So like Chad said, we'll have him through the end of the year and then um, a few days a week for the first quarter. And so mm-hmm. we're not super speedy about it, but we're, we're ready. We're, yeah. we're excited. And then Chad will still be around when Chad's around based on how we partner moving forward. I know that's a little bit, a little bit squishy, but that's the nature of these things. And yep. Yeah. So be it. All right, so Chad, um, there's a what you a symbiotic friendship, symbiotic uh, friendship, a symbiotic yeah. friendship moving forward, yeah. and we're really excited about that. Um, I'm, I want to say this. Thank you for the way you've handled this whole process, mm-hmm. um, talking to us at every step along the way, like months and months in advance. As soon as you knew something like this was on the table. We knew this was on the table, mm-hmm. and it's yep. just been so high integrity and just the way you would mm-hmm. hope it would be done, and kind and thoughtful and others first. And so, thank you for that. Thank you for being the type of man and the type of minister that we're really excited to continue partnering with and supporting in any way we can. And mm-hmm. like, there's a there's a lot of trust there, and it's been earned. You know, mm-hmm. like we come from a place of trust because we're Jesus people and we trust Christ in you. But then also you've demonstrated your trustworthiness on so many fronts so like that is not the scary part for me at all I, I mean Mm-mm. not at all so um thank you for that um you're such a good man <laughs> thank god for the way he's worked through you man uh, um i just really appreciate you and your friendship thank well you. and it, it also kind of let us learn you know there's some there's something so i don't i don't know it's it's so precious to get to experience someone's decision-making process because we all have decision-making processes, mm-hmm. right? And so it just feels like a particular mm-hmm. kindness that you yeah. were so open with mm-hmm. uh, allowing that for us because of your integrity. But also I think you you care about us. It felt like you care about us and you, and you want us to be part of it. So. Yeah, well, I think you're in ministry long enough. You've seen all the ways it's handled badly. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, in in the Baptist days, I helped handle a church split. Um, I helped close our Knoxville church. Mm -hmm. And so like um, those experiences within themselves um, always made me think if if I had to leave, how would I want someone to go through that with me? Yeah. Mm. And it's like, oh, I'd want to be open. I want to be honest. Um, and I'd want them to also be able to speak into it. It's kind of like if I went to Lindsay or you and was like, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. And you guys were like, hey, man, look at your sets of gifts and look at that and maybe have some concerns about that. Like, mm-hmm. like that's important to have mutual input and, account- mm-hmm. and accountability into that. And so... Um, and you actually did that. 
Like you you <laughs> yeah. sat us down and yeah, we mm-hmm. we both tried to come up with reasons you shouldn't leave, but we yeah. couldn't, we couldn't well, find them. But my list was one myself. <laughs> In that though, um, I'm thankful for you guys and the organization. You know, there are certain ways in which you can be greedy about this process mm-hmm. and say no. We want Chad to stay or, hey, you need to know by a certain time or in or out or anything like that. Um, And I only found grace and understanding and wisdom from our organization. So I'm really thankful for the Vineyard Church here in that. How can we support you moving forward, man? Yeah, so moving forward, um, so it's going to look like me being a full-time missionary inside of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And so um, we've gone about different ways of do I work a part-time job? Do I work a full-time job? Do I race support? And uh, the guy who directed me, Seth, again, that's, mm-hmm. that's the third name drop. You should probably look him up. Um, we were with him. Seth, um, we're going to charge you per name drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was with him um, this past week, and we walked outside of a place at 1 a.m. in the morning. And we're walking back and I go, man, are you always out this late at 1 a.m.? And he just kind of looked at me and he goes, yeah, um, at least two or three nights a week. This is what it means to be on mission with people and being, being where they are when they're at places and having the full conversation. And the one thing that he looked at me and told me is you need to be where people are mm-hmm. when they're able to be there. And so... And so he looked at me and goes, this is why I've been kind of telling you a lot that you need to look at raising support Mm -hmm. because there's only certain times that people can be in certain places. And if you can't be there, you will miss them. Or if you have a job to get to the next morning, you will have to cut Mm -hmm. a conversation short that God wants to break in Mm -hmm. into. And I've been wrestling with support Mm because I've never done that. I've never thought I would have to do that. Mm -hmm. And so basically it's going to look like in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be having conversations about raising support Mm -hmm. um, and building support for, you know, it costs money to take people out to eat, have coffee with them and doing stuff like that. And so, yeah. And so in the coming months, it's going to look like me. um, I have a website I'm working on right now. And there we go. Yeah. And so, and so basically anyone who wants to support or anything like that, or who has more questions, want to be like, Hey, Mm -hmm. I want, I want to know more about what you're doing. Um, um, there, there um, will be a website for that, but, um, but yeah, so that's what okay. coming up. We'll push that info out when the time yeah, comes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Anything else we need to add you guys? All right. I'll miss you. Yeah. yeah. I'll miss you guys too. Thanks for doing what God put you up to though. <laughs> I know. That's yeah. what it's about. All right, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you guys. Anna Kitko, thank you so much for <laughs> coming to talk. Uh, so, just so folks know, in case they think we overly prepare for these things, uh, it is your day off. <laughs> I texted you like a couple hours ago uh-huh. and said, "Will you just show up and talk to me about some stuff?" Because I wanted to talk about something. Great. And you agreed, so thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. This this is the best part of my job is the um, the non the non-scripted like completely impromptu conversations yeah it's my favorite part that's part of why i was like yeah i can make it work yeah well some of my, i like it some of the favorite things about my job is are are unscripted impromptu conversations with you so it's fun to like well let's just get this one on on record although we're gonna talk about some stuff we've we've kicked around it's always really before. light 
when we have conversations. <laughs> yeah. it's really, we don't really go really deeply into anything controversial ever. Yeah, because yeah, you always come and ask me really easy questions, and I come and ask you easy questions. <laughs> Not at all. Um, okay, well, before we get in, um, we just finished... Uh, three Rasho Christie community nights and by we I mean you and not me because you did all the work but um, and you hit some as you you know we saw on the podcast doozy of topics Mm -hmm. like really heavy stuff challenging Mm -hmm. stuff so I'm just curious feedback I mean what response are you getting from people how's it going so far really really positive good Um, like overwhelmingly positive but it's mostly like um, relief Mm-hmm. Like I was so, it was so nice hearing somebody talk about this or, uh-huh. um, I hadn't thought about it from that angle before and that's really helpful. Or, um, I've never read song of songs mm-hmm. in my entire career as a Christian wow. and my wife and I are doing a Bible study now, mm-hmm. which is, that's my favorite well, that's thing to hear. Outcome. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then as far as, um, it's hard to track feedback unless you directly speak to me i don't really know mm-hmm. um obviously the questions were outstanding so that's always really that helps me get some insight into mm-hmm. whether or not we you know hit the nail on the head with our our guesses on what needs to be done right um but the questions have continued to come in which means people are listening and then i have gotten for the first time this semester um emails with people saying thank you i have watched the same video six times oh wow yeah so the repeat that means mm-hmm. the study was deep enough that they needed to go back and look mm-hmm. over material again. So that's been really cool. Good. Yeah. So in the past, we have pulled the audio from those Rossi okay. and Christy Nights and put them in our podcast feed, but we're not doing that anymore for a couple of reasons. One, it, re- it really is. A, I mean, Rossi Christie is a separate ministry than from the yeah. ministry of our church. And, um, because what we're doing now, these conversations, um, so it was, it felt like we were going to get too much content in our podcast feed. I said that to say, for people who want to hear or and or watch the video, yeah. where, where do they need to go? There to is the YouTube channel is Anna Kitko YouTube channel. Um, Russia Christie, the official Russia Christie channel, usually takes content from that anyway so you might see it show up there if you follow the really big channel but we we made a separate local channel just because we had so many people Mm -hmm. wanting that specific content so if you just type in my name k-i-t-k-o anna straight up i'm the only one on there and we're not building a channel that's literally just for students to revisit gotcha so there's nothing fancy and you can Mm -hmm. tell and then other ministries are connected on there that i've done work for so that um, students can see what it's like to be a cult and new religion specialist Mm -hmm. so there's interviews from television stations Mm -hmm. and then being boldens on there if you're familiar with naomi wright and all of that stuff that goes down in tennessee with the cults Mm. there and then um through truth matters yeah there's a bunch of stuff so you get trained on everything cool Mm -hmm. so you just need to know your name and go to youtube it's right there there, you can't miss it yep all right cool because i've had some folks ask all right so here's why i texted you out of nowhere and said will you come talk to me on a recording about this i was replying to yet another email that i've gotten and there have been many over the years but it's but it's i'm getting more and more with someone in the best possible way, like there's nothing negative about this at all, but wrestling with questions about mental illness and how we think of it as Christians, um, how we seek help, if we seek help, um, how how do we think of it as like, is this primarily a spiritual problem? Is it primarily a, um, 
a mental illness or a chemical imbalance or a circumstantial reality or, mm -hmm. you know, and people try, it, it gets really muddy for folks. Um, and people, I, I think are struggling to know how to, how to think about this stuff. So I'm, I'm typing up this email and while I'm, I'm typing up this email, I am thinking about, um, your most recent Russia Christian community night where you talked about being an integrationist, which is something I want to get right to here in just a minute. And so I was thinking about that, typing this email. Um, and then I got a text message directly about this subject saying, you know, how, how should we think about people with, you know, this mental illness and, um, and these medications and is it, is there a possibility that they're using these medications to numb themselves from the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Right. Which oh, is, interesting. A, I thought a really thoughtful question. Yeah. Um, all that to say, I was like, okay, enough already there. Let's sit down and kind of talk this through a bit together. So kind of off the cuff here, um, Tell us, give us a little more. When you, when you talked in the last Russia Christie community night about being an integrationist, mm -hmm. tell us what that means. Of course, that can mean different things based on the context, but give us the mm -hmm. context. Tell us what that means, why you're an integrationist, and mm -hmm. we'll just see where it goes from there. Okay, so integrationism as a, a, a structure is how do you incorporate usually medicine? So it's normally brought up in the field of counseling. Mm -hmm. How do you structure medicine? with the scriptures because the scriptures are the word of God, right? And functionally speaking, they are everything that we really need to answer any questions that we have as our, as we move through our lives. Mm -hmm. But then the question becomes, well, we also have natural revelation and that's what we know about the world around us and what we experience. And those two are supposed to go together. At mm -hmm. least the history of the church is, is fairly, they, they agree on this. They're supposed mm -hmm. to go together. So the details then, how much so are they supposed to go together as we uncover the reality of the world around us and grow in knowledge? How much does that knowledge get to inform how we respond to complicated things and complicated things being in this case medicine. Mm -hmm. So in that in that realm right now there are five camps and each camp takes a position that says how much modern science, the medicine stuff that you would get in in medical school things like that, mm -hmm. how the human body works, um, the chemistry, all those, especially brain chemistry and mental illness. Mm -hmm. How much are we allowed to play around with things that we don't understand? if the Bible doesn't speak explicitly to it. What, what type of things? Things like phenomena in the brain that we're noticing we can't explain. We can't mm. tell exactly what's happening and for what reason. Yeah. Because um, uh, neurology is a pioneer field. Mm -hmm. Psychology is a pioneer field. And a lot of the guys who've been doing this work, especially in psychology up until this point, the vast majority of them have been atheists. Mm -hmm. So can we really trust a lot of their frameworks for assessing these things and the therapies for doing these things? Mm -hmm. Well, the integrationists are the Christians who believe that the Bible stands as the ultimate test for even a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So you would never diagnose something or give um, a prognosis that would go against the scriptures. So let's say somebody comes up with a therapy that involves, um, well, let's, well, I'll just use a practical one. Okay. We talked about sex, drugs, rock and roll this, this past time. I use this with our clients. Um, the normal thing that you prescribe to somebody who has suffers from insomnia is sex before bed. 
and mm. that's all you would talk to about talk to them about to try first before you do any medicines because mm. you get a huge hit to your brain of oxytocin before you go to sleep and that's helpful for sleep patterns oh. so that's a problem though because if i'm treating a college student who's mm-hmm. unmarried uh-huh. i as a christian can't go go have sex before bed right right so the difference between say a modern uh non-christian clinician's uh prognosis and mm-hmm. diagnosis and expectation mm-hmm. for what you're supposed to do is going to be completely different than if you come talk to me right. where I'm going to have you, you know, go listen to a Barterman lecture or something. So no which... <laughs> instruction that will, <laughs> no instruction that will contradict scripture. Correct. Right. Correct. So when the scriptures don't speak explicitly to a mental illness thing, mm-hmm. so long as I am doing something that doesn't abuse the body or make the body drunk or something along those lines, we're free as human beings to engage in modern medicine as it Mm -hmm. comes up and as we learn things about Mm -hmm. the way the body reacts to these Mm -hmm. scenarios. Yeah, so I've always, that's, (laughs) this is naive of me, but um, in the early going as a pastor, I assumed that was what everyone would do, that they would say, okay, we trust the authority of scripture as people of God, that's that's the ultimate, you know, final arbiter, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we have this this common grace, things that we that we know through modern science and medicine, and these are also things made available to us. Mm-hmm. Why not use them? At, well, which one's ultimate? Well, scripture. If it's you know we're not going to contradict scripture um, or do anything sinful, um, but why not use? I mean, all truth is our truth, right? So why not use all that we have available to us? And um, the way I discovered that this was not the reality is I was referring people in our church to a biblical counselor, a couple of them, but one in particular, um, who I'd, you know, I'd spent some time with, done some vetting, asked lots of questions, loved their answers, but I wasn't asking specific enough questions out of my ignorance. And what I later discovered was this person was, was pretty adamantly opposed to any use of modern medicine, um, um, any sort of, I don't have the right terminology, but um, scientific discovery around mental health at all, you know, even so like pharmaceuticals, things like anti-anxiety well, medication. Yeah, like pharmaceuticals, that. but then also just like things that you would find in the DSM. What are we up to five, five now? Yep. That's basically saying, you know, we can name this diagnosis as this because we've learned it. And, and been able to identify it through trials and studies. Mm-hmm. And they would say, well, I don't have a verse for that specific ailment and therefore essentially it's not a thing um um, or perhaps it's you know a manifestation of something evil or even demonic or and so what i found was it took and unfortunately it took me a while to even realize it and i had to go back and apologize to a number of people who i'd referred and said i i don't think this person's giving correct advice um and so I was, I was stunned that, that, that that's even a reality because it seems so apparent mm-hmm. to me. But when you spend more time thinking about it, there are, there are difficulties and there, there are potential. I mean, it, it's, it's a complicated thing. Sure. So, for example, let me ask you this. If someone, you, let's say you're at church on a Sunday and a friend taps you on the shoulder and says, Anna, I've had a really hard week. Um, I feel like my anxiety is, is taking over, you know, symptom, symptom, symptom. And then they say, what should I do? Or, or no, how about this? And they say, is that spiritual? Um, do I have a generalized anxiety disorder? Mm-hmm. Um, 
who should I go talk to? Like, how do you go about, how would you answer those questions? It's anxiety in particular. Yes, in this just general in this anxiety. Made up instance, yes. Okay, okay, yeah. uh, and that's fairly common. Anxiety is yes. a pretty common thing. Anxiety and depression. Um, the first thing that I would do is I would take things that are known causes of anxiety in our culture that regularly occur, and we would eliminate those first. So, for one, I would ask, "How's your sleep pattern?" Because mm-hmm. your circadian rhythms are your mood regulator, and if your circadian rhythms are off, you are never going to not feel anxiety. Mm-hmm. That's going to be there. Yeah. Um, so we start chiseling away at everything that causes anxiety. Um, your diet is another mm-hmm. one. So we're chronically starved for a sh- sugar in our brain called myonisetol. You can only get it from eating liver, kidney tissue, and the spinal tissue of some mammals. Mm-hmm. And it's depleted using caffeine, if you use caffeine on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And so the American diet, we have study after study demonstrating that one of the reasons we have the highest um, anxiety rates correlates precisely to our diets. Mm-hmm. And you can fix it with an over-the-counter vitamin not completely you know nothing nothing's magic no magic pills but that seems to be a part of why that there's like a dialed up aspect to this Uh so we i just keep turning the dial down slowly and Mm -hmm. we'd start eliminating things that we could eliminate and then we could actually process what is the core the cause of the anxiety Mm -hmm. and that's when you have to teach the differentiation between a brain problem Mm -hmm. and just problems uh-huh. Okay. Cause That's really important. Very important. People have a very hard time making that distinction. Yes. Yeah. So say more about that. <laughs> so we are not designed to be happy all the time. Uh-huh. We're designed to respond appropriately to what we're encountering. And the reality is that we are encountering a broken world in which we are regularly perpetrators of evil. Mm. And the response of your soul is going to be significant anxiety to that. Mm-hmm. We're not made for here. This isn't our home. Mm-hmm. So there's a level of existential depression that is just part of being a human. Mm-hmm. And so the anxiety surrounding that and like, oh, I'm supposed to be happy. Maybe they, 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 they've forgotten that that's an aspect to this. And they think everybody else is happy, but I'm not raises the level of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And those things compound. Mm-hmm. And it's normally anxiety is normally a positive feedback loop. So you have to mm-hmm. just go in and just yank out a piece. Mm-hmm. And that normally settles down Mm -hmm. so in this theoretical situation but then if we've if we've talked through all of that Mm -hmm. and there's still an underlying anxiety normally they can tell me what it is Um, and that can be chemical Mm -hmm. where there's no real reason for this that we can isolate for you to feel this rough in which case we can start playing with things like um, SSRIs, which are a type of drug that's a reuptake inhibitor for your brain, which is a normal problem for people to have. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it helps your brain pick up the good hormones that you need and leave some of the bad ones behind mm-hmm. and just very, very minor dose and see if that affects things. Mm-hmm. If it does, that's wow, that, that actually might be something that you need, in which case mm-hmm. it's very easy. There's there's very little um, side effects unless you get into the real big dosages. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is, is that you usually need a therapist in order to do all of that work to arrive there. Yep. If you go to just your regular uh, primary care physician and say, I'm sad all the time, they'll usually do something like, we'll run blood work, which is mm-hmm. what they're supposed to do. We'll run blood work. We will assess whether or not you need a therapist. We'll recommend that you need a therapist. And if you're going through a particularly hard time or we're worried about your mental health being something that might result in suicide, we will give you a short dosage to get you through this difficult time period. Mm-hmm. So this is when you see like college students get put on their first antidepressant. Yes. They never talk to a therapist in order uh-huh. to get there. Because mm-hmm. these we, we break up medicine into specialties for that reason. You can't 
you only can live one lifetime. Mm-hmm. You only have so many times to study. You can't be an expert in everything. Yeah. That's but why we separate these things. a general practitioner can prescribe generally, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think that's helpful. Like, especially, so when you were giving some examples, it reminded me of this little thing that I've come up with in my head. Like if I'm feeling anxiety or if I'm feeling what feels like a touch of depression, mm-hmm. um, then, and it's an acronym, I guess, because I'm a preacher and I can't help it, but I, I need to get sped up. And SPED is the acronym, okay. and it's it's sleep, mm-hmm. and uh, and sleep. This is in order for me, um, because if I am sleep deprived or I'm out of whack with sleep, like there's no rhythm or pattern to it, then almost everything else is moot. Like I just can't function at a high level otherwise. So the first one is sleep. The second one is prayer. And it sounds very unspiritual for me to put sleep before prayer. That's okay, but it works for the even, acronym. I can't even pray well if I'm exhausted. I can't, I just, I'm worthless. So sleep, prayer, exercise, diet. Mm-hmm. And ex- what, and the truth is doing exercise motivates me to diet and not the reverse, you know? And I don't mean diet in terms of like a crash diet. I'm like the same way. Eat, eat healthy, right? So yeah. Mine is just like guilt. I just ran six miles. I'm not going to eat something that's going to undo what I just did. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's exactly the rationale. So I, I do think, because what I'm saying, I think the, the, the main thing I want to highlight is we do not need to be afraid of seeing a therapist as it may be needed right. or, and if, if done appropriately, um, and you've, and, and with, you know, thoughtful, prayerful consideration, all those things, if, um, if a, uh, a prescription is, is proves in time to be helpful, then mm-hmm. that's could very well just be a gift of the Lord. There's no need to be, um, concerned about that. So that's my initial like thing I want to talk about. But then the, there is the other side where people, um, maybe, maybe, run to that so quickly um, that there's not even an effort to go, okay, well, what are some rational steps that I could take? And, and can I just talk, can I talk to just a friend or a mentor, just somebody I trust, you know, Um, I I have some, you know, what would you say if somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, I'm, I'm feeling depressed. Should I talk to my pastor or to my doctor? Like, or which one should yeah. I talk to? Yeah. I mean, dependent upon where they're coming from, like background wise, if they are talking mm-hmm. to me, I would have to know the pastor well enough to say, go talk to your pastor about mm-hmm. this. But the, the primary concern would be, um, why are you why are you asking me the question in that capacity? Why not talk to both? Right. Like, it seems like a completely false. Okay, good. <laughs> it's a completely false thing to like to like peg them against each other, even though I totally understand, which is why my introduction was so long to the drug night. Mm-hmm. That we did about the history of our of our area mm-hmm. um, and how negatively you're. Um, I mean, I have case after case after case right now that mm-hmm. I'm dealing with, where the reason why they did not get help for genuine mental illness mm-hmm. was, and I say genuine meaning clinical mental illness, mm-hmm. not just I have the blues today, right? Um, because they knew they were going to be judged by their congregation and their pastor for mm-hmm. being lacking faith. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd sad, but I could Great. go through our congregation, point out person after person after person who has who has sat down with me and said, "Will I be kicked out if I take an anti-anxiety medicine, or yes. um, or even an antipsychotic, or yes. um, do I lack faith if you know I, you know, whatever it may be, if I see mm-hmm. a counselor or a therapist, and it's such a 
it's such a tragic problem that I mean, it just doesn't on its face just doesn't seem like it should be there at all. <laughs> well, it gets complicated for y'all too, vineyard folks, with all the the, the charismatic talk that we do regularly mm-hmm. here about being active and engaging the Holy Spirit. Y'all get flate and conflated with um, the New Apostolic Reformation material. Um, because it all sounds similar. They're using the same terms that we are. Mm-hmm. They have different meanings. Mm-hmm. And so if you're around NAR material, you are going to get that the dominionist mentality, which is if you're not healed, it's because you're not petitioning the Lord correctly in prayer mm-hmm. and you don't have enough people doing that. Right. You didn't and plug so, in the right religious right, formula to right. twist God's divine arm behind his Correct. back and make him solve whatever it is that you're Correct. facing. Correct. Yeah. Which is almost a new, new and old form of sort of a health, wealth, and prosperity. Except it is it's mental health, wealth, and prosperity, mm-hmm. um, um, and that is, gets conflated with, as you referenced earlier, um, feeling good all of the time, mm-hmm. which is which is never the promise at all. True, and treating the brain as though it's something that can't get sick. Like they yeah, cut. They, say more they, about that. I think it's very important. Yeah, so the brain gets equated with the soul. Mm-hmm. I and think that's right. Yeah, so we're not as Christians. We know from church history, we're not Gnostics, meaning we're not souls that are trapped in bodies, mm-hmm. and that your soul is complete. We're, we're embodied spirits. Those these things have an interplay, um, and the only person that can do the separating is the Lord. And that separation is temporary when we die. Like that's it's an unnatural state where we're going to go when mm-hmm. we're separated from our bodies. We're supposed to be reincorporated, recorporeal, and be resurrected. We're going to get bodies back, right? That's how mm-hmm. we're designed. So that means that if you're looking at an Orthodox Christian position on this, theologically, your brain is an organ just like the rest of your body. And in the same way that your body parts, if you had cancer of uh, the liver mm-hmm. and you're having cirrhosis symptoms, you would go get treatment. Yes, You go get treatment for when your brain is sick and your brain can be healed. Like it doesn't have to be a permanent thing. It's just scarier now, I think, because it is such a pioneer field. Mm-hmm. We're so new at this that people aren't, they're not well versed in navigating those things mm-hmm. yet. Cancer is something we understand, mm-hmm. but having a chemical imbalance in your brain is not something that's well understood mm-hmm. by the general public. Yeah. And it gets further conflated because some. I don't have the right terminologies, but basically brain illnesses get conflated with mental illnesses. So there could be someone who's suffering from dementia for dementia or Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. for example, and they won't get help because they don't want people to think they're crazy. Yes. Which is such a sad reality. Oh, it's awful. And I've seen it again yep. and again. Yep. And it's, uh, it's, it's tragic. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of this, let's talk a bit about depression because a, a lot of this it seems to center around that. And, and helping people have an understanding of, okay, when do I need to get help? Um, how do I discern between typical run-of-the-mill, happens to us all because it's a fallen world, sadness, mm-hmm. um, biblical grief, which we, um, as a baseline, I think, try to even avoid. Yeah, lament. Um, yeah, and then, and then the fact that people might be genuinely clinically depressed. I think people have a really hard time parsing those things out. And the way I tend to think of it, Anna, and this will just sort of give you my, my sort of my approach to it is when people come to me and say, Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm very sad or I'm dealing with depression. Um, my, my assumption is that what they're facing is multi-factored. Mm-hmm. 
like multifactorial, I guess is the word. So there are lots of these things at play. My assumption is that there's a physical element to what they're facing. There's an emotional element. There's a mental element. There's a spiritual element. There's the circumstances in their life. Mm -hmm. And these things are all like I like a dynamic interplay between these realities and they all very likely have some slice of the pie of the pie. Mm -hmm. And um, that is not to say that there, that every mental illness, for example, um, is um, spiritual in nature, but we have a spiritual adversary who takes advantage of uh, right. any opportunity, you know, he has to, to harm us. And so there's always a spiritual aspect a mental, emotional, physical, we're all living within our circumstances. And uh, the language I tend to use is that um, I have absolutely no idea how to slice that pie. Like, is this, are, is this like 85% a chemical imbalance? Mm. Um, or is it uh, 65% the circumstances that you're facing in life right now? Like, I don't imagine I will ever have any capacity to parse those things out and slice that pie. I just assume that they're all at play um, that's, and they're all, that's wise. they're all aspects. And then we can, and what I have to be careful when I said, because the next thing I want to say is Jesus is the answer to all of those things. Um, like he's the only, as the great physician, he's the only one who can slice that pie, parse it out and is capable of addressing every single aspect. Um, but I don't want to say that and have people here. You don't need, there's, there's no, it would be wrong or lack of faith for you to get help from a, a therapist or to see a physician uh, or things like that. Mm -hmm. And so um, it, it really becomes a dance. And unfortunately, this is affecting people who are either depressed, either clinically or just based on, you know, all these variables or to some degree or they're to some degree facing anxiety. And which is to say these things are already swirling for people like the dust is already kicked up. And now they're supposed to sort of address <laughs> um, like theological questions. And there are voices saying, uh, you don't trust the Lord if, or it's a lack of faith if you go to a physician. So um, I don't know if there's a question in all of that. No, 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 that's okay. <laughs> but uh, do, I mean, do you concur? Do you have any thoughts about it's that? It's very complicated. So I, I think it is, I think it is safe to say that Although the person in front of you who's talking to you and giving you suggestions about what is and is not a lack of faith, um, they are not the enemy. They've never been the enemy. They're probably giving you as sound advice as they think they can possibly give. Mm -hmm. um, the problem for me is that there is no ground that Yahweh does not already own. Mm -hmm. And so to fear asking him a question about your depression and whether or not it's clinical, if it's a chemical imbalance, or if it's if it's due to your life, like we are full transparency people mm -hmm. as Christians, that's what we're supposed to be. And every problem, no matter how tiny, we run straight to the Lord with. Mm -hmm. So there's never a point in time where you're like, can't bother the Lord with a, right. a bad day. It's good to say. That's not a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not a thing to ask it's, him it's if you It's also not need. a thing to go too many times. Like I, yeah. I've, I've brought this concern to the Lord too many times. That's that's, that's not, not a, a thing, thing either, and that's not selfishness. Yeah, yeah, it's just trusting your Father and exactly. running to Him. Yeah, exactly. So with it coming, like taking that and applying it, then the people of God that He's placed in your life are not an accident. Like you, He placed you in your body, mm -hmm. so He already knows. 
he already knows what you're going to face for you to ask him questions about that he is the answer already mm -hmm. so even just just the implication that there are things we can't bother god with mm -hmm. or there are things we can't ask or there are things we can't poke or navigate or investigate is mm -hmm. already like you absolutely can do that yeah. and the thing that sounds like the enemy to me is somebody being like don't bother god with that right yeah well you talked about the neurological field being a pioneering one well it's it not for him not you know, at all. He put it all together in the first Correct. place. And it is a, it's always a good place to go. Yes. But it, part of what he's provided for us are these other common graces. And yes. People have to uh, bear Not that to mention mind. he put his hand on Luke, the physician, mm -hmm. and made him one of the 70 mm -hmm. and sent him out into Samaria as an evangelist. Yeah. Knowing full well he was a physician, there was no repent of uh -huh. you studying medicine. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Perhaps there's something to that. Yeah, amen. Well put. I hadn't thought about it. That's so obvious. Of course there wasn't. And yet these are things that, I mean, these questions do get. All right, so I want to ask you a few sort of more specific questions. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm spitballing here, but I, okay. I think you'll do just fine. That's fine. Um, is it possible for mental illness to be the result of demonic influence? Yes. All yes, right. it is. Say a and, bit more. Okay, so this gets sticky. This is a sticky wicket fast because mm -hmm. you... What I'm going to say is I'm going to give you some Anna advice, and there's Anna advice. There are differing perspectives on how to identify demonic influence within the traditions of the church that you're going to encounter now. It's not really true if you look at the the, the line that goes through history. I think I can establish that really well that I'm about to teach you the one that's the most cohesive all the way through. Okay. Um, but it, for the vast majority of, of American history— there has been a monopoly on demonic um, determinations, and it's been the Catholics, the Roman Catholics in particular, that knew the most. They're the ones you go to. There's a reason why every horror film is you go yeah. to a Catholic priest <laughs> in particular. Yes. Uh -huh. So they're, they're probably the most heavy-handed on this. You have to go to the Vatican to study. You have to be self-elected by other crews. You have to be a, spe a specialist in exorcism. Not just anybody can do it. Mm -hmm. The Eastern Orthodox crew, and we have a pretty robust Eastern Orthodox population here, mm -hmm. any of their priests can do an exorcism. Them. Where it gets even more complicated is the Protestants, because mm -hmm. we believe that each believer has access to the mm -hmm. Holy Spirit, which means anybody claiming to be a Christian technically is that's that's your criteria by which you can cast out a demon. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then you have to ask, well, okay, so the individual that's willing to call this a demon, whatever, however they're meaning to identify, do they have a robust framework by which to identify the difference between demonic influence mm -hmm. and someone who's sick mm -hmm. in the same way that our Lord Jesus had a differentiation in the gospels for example when he was healing an actual ailment he would physically touch the person you'll notice he doesn't make physical contact with capital d demons throughout the gospels that we think there's something to that hmm. there's second temple protocol also has and i say second temple protocol there's a jewish exorcism protocol okay um, we have documentation for how that works it goes way back. We're not entirely sure exactly where they're getting everything from. We just have little bits and pieces throughout history of incantation bowls and vessels that you can cast demons into. Mm -hmm. The goal was to find a vessel that didn't have to die mm -hmm. to cast a demon into. Usually it was a bowl that was mm -hmm. filled with water. That's our oldest documentation. Then it goes into you can cast them into animals, things like that. The primary component was demons don't like water. And so the only way to kill a demon is to drown it. 
that was the underlying assumption. Yes. So that brings us to the garrison demoniacs mm-hmm. and the fact that the pigs get drowned. Yes. That's not that's a that's a detail that really matters in that story. Yeah. And I bring up all of this to say, did the person who you're talking to who is going, You have a demon mm-hmm. and I can identify them. Mm-hmm. Did they also demonstrate any type of robust biblical analysis, anything, before mm-hmm. they said they identified the demon <laughs> or uh-huh. said that they're going to cast it out or whatever? Right. And this matters because abuse of the mentally ill is yeah. a serious problem. Mm-hmm. It is sin. Yeah. Um, and if you don't, if you can't tell the difference and you might be abusing a mentally ill person, then you're actually engaging in sin and negligence Mm -hmm. with the care of one of God's people. Mm -hmm. That's why we have to be careful with things like deliverance ministries. Mm -hmm. We have to be careful with people who are regularly attaching spirits to things every time something breaks, every time something happens weird, that's a spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, Third party attaching things, there's a phenomenon I'm seeing all the time right now, and that is every time somebody goes through something traumatic, Mm. another well-meaning Christian will will imply that a spirit, a third party, from that realm negative spirit attached itself to you mm-hmm. as a result of the trauma sure. and now you carry that spirit with you permanently until you figure out a way to get rid of it right and then everybody can debate on how to do that uh-huh. which i have zero scripture for that yeah that was going to be my next question zero scripture examples and yeah. i so we're actively traumatizing people who have gone through trauma yes. by adding spiritual trauma to it right and it's abuse yeah it is So it gets complicated. The point is, you have somebody who says they want to perform an exorcism, test them first. Mm -hmm. How robust is their framework? What are they judging based off of? Mm -hmm. We have a framework. I went to a Presbyterian seminary. Our framework involves identification of demons in clinical settings um, by the supernatural abilities that they possess during the possession. Number one, medicine cannot treat the soul. Mm -hmm. Medicine doesn't touch demons. That's right. So if you medicate an individual and they respond to the medication, that's not demonic. Mm. Okay. So there's like a test there. Um, Yeah. There are other, we can go into other characteristics Uh if you want to, but that's the primary one. And that's Uh the one that I want people to to note. Yeah. Yes. So does that feel, does that blur the lines at all? I guess not. My my question about that was, well, what if it's uh, something that's addressing a mood disorder? how someone feels right mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. could you medicate could someone be under uh significant demonic influence and be medicated to alter their mood mm-hmm. and then that be that have some efficacy and yet they're still they're still going to be under that that demonic influence um, oh sure so that's that's another complication we haven't talked about because there's a difference between demonic influence and actual possession Mm -hmm. and in our area those two things get conflated on a regular basis right um so influence is different in the sense that we want to be cognizant of any way that you're opening yourself up to the demonic realm so i'll have people sometimes who are um they're they have they have actively gone and done something extremely disobedient and they knew about it they have felt guilt since then and are worried now that they're being followed. Mm. So astral projection, for example, 
Hmm. Um, that's something that occurs fairly regularly with college age students. And they do, they have a distinct impression that once they got back, they could see things following them. Once they got back to their bodies, they were pretty sure they still were following them. Yeah. That kind of checks out. I mean, it seems logical given the nature of, I mean, yeah, that's how I stop people from doing astral projection is having them jump on Reddit and, and type in bad trip. Uh-huh. and read the stories uh-huh. yeah. yeah um but with cases like that um if you're a christian we we have normally these cases of something that significant they're not christians mm-hmm. and what stops that from happening is becoming christian mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a great opportunity to give the gospel yeah. but if you are already a believer and you've mm-hmm. done something tame like i say tame spiritually tame but scary for for the the bible belt mm-hmm. like um, I'll have a I'll have a young person go to a party and they mm. played with a Ouija board and they stayed uh-huh. in the room for the Ouija board playing uh-huh. and they they saw it and they thought and they're like what have I done has uh-huh. a demon attached to me that sort right. of thing. Uh, the Lord is not. Um, how how should I put this? He's not intimidated mm-hmm. by Ouija boards mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. So the the best way we can deal with that is go precisely. Why are you worried? What what was the disobedient thing that you think you did? Number one, mm-hmm. go through some theology and then practice repentance and contrition, mm-hmm. which is something that people don't always know how to practice. Mm-hmm. And that usually fixes it pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So. so there's sort of another side of this. You, you said, yes, it is possible for mental illness to be the result of demonic influence. Yes. The inverse of that, which we've really already addressed, it's possible for a demonic influence to be misdiagnosed as mental illness it regularly is in fact the vast majority of our our, what i would say authentic demon possession cases are um committed because people cannot handle like when you're possessed by a demon it's it's really 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 dramatic right um this whole the the horror movies where they're going in and out Mm -hmm. that's not a feature of demonic possession not historically not practically it's just not a thing. Hmm. Um, influence maybe, but that's normally a sign of mental illness. Mm-hmm. So like when we do exorcism curriculum for our students, I take them through case studies through history um, and they have to re they have to diagnose it just based on the story, knowing what they know. Um, but that's one of the features of demonic possession is you stay possessed. Hmm. It's, it's a mess. Yeah. Um, and you think about this through like the garrison demoniacs. I mean, these mm-hmm. guys were living amongst the tombs. Uh-huh. Um, a feature of demonic possession is cannibalism. A lot of people won't talk about that. That's part of the reason why when um, bath salts became really big, I don't even remember that. I was in Florida at the time. There's a new drug on the streets called bath salts. Huh. And it would it would affect the person to such a high degree that cannibalism became a feature of Holy the man. high. Um, and it was freaking people out. People were at, yeah. I, we were in seminary at the time and we all sat back and went, oh, it's here. Because it's mm-hmm. Florida, and we're getting a lot of demonic stuff coming in from the Caribbean. Uh-huh. And we're like, it made it. We've got our first possession cases, and people are documenting them. Uh-huh. It turned out it was a feature of the drug. We now know that because you can test the drug that they were on. Mm-hmm. It's also called Flaca. Have you heard of Flaca? Mm. Nope. Yeah, I, I use that footage to help train, if you ever want to see the difference between what, a, what an actual demon possession looks like. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're normally institutionalized because they can't, you, 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 you have to restrain them. Right. And they're breaking the restraints uh-huh. and they're speaking in languages that they shouldn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So um, here's an interesting one. Is it possible for spiritual giftedness to be misdiagnosed as mental illness? I have a specific uh, sort of framework in mind, but 
um, especially psychotic illnesses where you're seeing things. Oh, um, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I would say, I would say, yeah, it can accidentally be, um, cause you, I think you can over clinically do things too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if you, you want to be careful navigating things. So like you have somebody who is regularly seeing visions and having dreams, you want to make sure that you're separating and testing those by content. Mm-hmm. Um, and how often it's affecting your ability to do normal worship things like worship the Lord, your prayer life, things like that. Cause mm-hmm. the Lord's not interested in interrupting himself. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if things that you, somebody may have suggested who's hyperclinical, that this is, this is just psychosis you're mm-hmm. having, um, you're hallucinating mm-hmm. and you're not on drugs to cause the hallucination. You just test the hallucination. Try not to panic. Uh-huh. Um, try to surround yourself with somebody who's not going to be hyperclinical, mm-hmm. but is also not going to run down the road of like everything's good and right. Because right. if it's schizophrenia, that's actually mm-hmm. really treatable now. It didn't used mm-hmm. to be. It's really treatable. You can live a completely normal life. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It is not a, a death sentence at all. Yeah. But you need to be able to navigate those things. And one of the tests is do the do the hallucinations interrupt your prayer life, for example? Yeah, well, that's a good way to. It's a good framework again. Yeah, I have a someone I won't I won't say who, but someone I've connected with mm-hmm. around here is just has a really strong prophetic gift, mm-hmm. and she's very discerning and compassionate. And very often when she sees people who are in grief, she feels their grief. Mm-hmm. And the Lord will often reveal to them how um, they're, they, they will feel that grief and then the nature of that grief. Mm-hmm. And then she has remarkable uh, results being able to just talk with people with compassion and approach them. And... Um, and essentially be able to encourage them. And just beautiful stories that have come from that. Also, um, she has to pray a whole lot before she goes to the grocery store because she's surrounded by these people and she has such a gift of discernment and compassion and such a prophetic insight. She just has it as, it's as if she has this large open window to the spiritual world um, that it can make her feel, oh, it's almost in a way crazy making. And I don't mean that in a, in a negative way. It was just, but she she's just trying to get some produce you know and she's in in deep grief feeling compassion for people around this and i i think um should, if this person were to speak to a physician about that they'd, they'd walk out with a prescription <laughs> and um and i i wonder that if that would even be appropriate well mm. there are two things to, to note with this number one just because it's prescribed to you doesn't mean you have to take it yeah um, number two, you are surrounded by a body of believers with clinicians in it, especially That's if right. the people who are listening to this podcast, I mean, we have wonderful clinicians in this, um, congregation who we will sit and just educate the whole time. If you're mm-hmm. scared, cause one of the big fears with therapy is that you're going to get some type of diagnosis that mm-hmm. you're going to carry with you for the rest of your life, yeah. or some magic is going to happen where you're going to be manipulated into some category and you, mm-hmm. there's just so little knowledge that if you just want to sit down and say, I just want a psychoeducation breakdown so that I know what I'm uh-huh. walking into, you can have all of that. Yes. Yep. Yep. And we have generalists and we have people who mm-hmm. and who are regularly available and they've made themselves available to me repeatedly. Mm-hmm. We'll sit down and help people sort through this stuff, mm-hmm. which hits on maybe my 
I think what I would hope to be the biggest or among the biggest takeaways from this, which is there is such there is such fear and confusion and shame connected to um, mental illness, yeah. uh, and and it's so unpro- so unfortunately so, but um, that people are hesitant to do anything at all. And if they are, and depending on their personality, but in many cases, people are hesitant to do anything at all. And in some cases, uh, they'll say, hey, I no, I did. You know, I was told and I did the one thing. You know, I talked to my doctor, period. Or I saw a therapist, period. Mm-hmm. Or I saw a pastor, mm-hmm. period. And to me, that's, um, well, who is that one pastor, that one therapist, that one physician um and not using the wisdom that comes in the council of many yeah Yeah. that and the the kind of i don't really want to treat this i would rather just suppress it and act like it's not there which is a feature of our culture as well especially for the men Mm -hmm. um especially with trauma they -hmm. do the whole suppress the grief Mm -hmm. instead of sit in the grief and the reason why that's a problem is because that'll never go away and you will be permanently depressed Mm -hmm. (laughs) the only way to treat grief is to actually sit in it there is no medicine that can treat grief Mm -hmm. an antidepressant will work Mm -hmm. Um, you're not even allowed to do any type of clinical intervention for PTSD until at least six months after the event Mm -hmm. Um, and there are tons of symptoms to things like PTSD that look like a ton of other mental illnesses. Right. The reason why you talk to a therapist is because we know the differences and we know what to treat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. I recently sat down uh, with someone in our congregation and I was sitting down with them, um, their therapist um, and their physician. And so it was in a sense, body, mind and spirit. Great. And collectively we're saying well based on this we're we're complex people we're multifaceted people um how can we advise you collectively to move forward in a way that would be that would be helpful and it was a really beautiful thing and i thought there's so many people who just say i did the one thing um Mm -hmm. and then and say okay i did it and that's i'm gonna wash my hands of it now i'm done (laughs) and it's uh it's 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 really unfortunate it is unfortunate. That's yeah. part of the design of um, our clinical practice is that we have an MD in-house that's a physician, and then we have me, the apologist, and that's doing therapy, and then we have a, a clinical therapist as well, um, so that you go you go all the way around and we all talk to each other. So it's holistic healing mm-hmm. as well, so you don't have to be saying the same story to three different people we already know. Yeah. And that doesn't that helps you not waste your time. Who wants to do this all the time? We just want to mm-hmm. get the treatment and get it done. Mm-hmm. I totally get it. All right, so one, let me hit one more thing. Okay. <laughs> and you're going to get fired up. Uh, so, uh, get ready. Control yourself. I'll try. But uh, when people um, abuse others with mental illness um, and insist that it's a, an ex- a primarily or exclusively spiritual reality mm-hmm. and they take advantage of those people. Mm-hmm. Tell us what that looks like so that we can be wise to it and avoid it. What are the types of things we see happening? And unfortunately, we don't have to name names, but things you and I both know happen in this town Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. What should people be looking out for? Yeah, the primary thing that I warn people about, and I'll be speaking about hopefully coming up here in the summertime um, to a bunch of clinicians, which will be helpful, uh, is practicing medicine without a license. 
Okay. That's the primary thing that I want people to look for. And the way you can identify it is if there's a big giant waiver disclaimer that you have to sign before you go into whatever your prophetic session is mm-hmm. or your deliverance session or however they like to call it. Um, since there are so many deliverance ministries in our area, I feel comfortable saying that. Mm-hmm. Not all of them are bad, but mm-hmm. if you have to sign a giant waiver that says you recognize that we're not practicing medicine and mm-hmm. we're not going to do anything and we really don't want you to sue us if we mess up, sign mm-hmm. at the bottom, anything along those lines, mm-hmm. run. That'd be a flag. Huge. Because mm-hmm. it means they're fully aware that they actually are practicing medicine. Right. They have no business doing so. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure that you don't sue us when you realize we completely messed with your brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Flag number one. That's a good one. <laughs> um any, I'm thinking of a couple other flags. Uh, any, any flags around money that you would? Oh, Simony drives me up the wall. Okay. So, the Lord doesn't charge for healing. Amen. The Lord also doesn't need to schedule your healing. Mm-hmm. So, if it's like, well, we know you're here for healing, and we know we've set up shop to to tell you that we're here to heal you, but we're going to need you to come back at Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Or on Tuesday at 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. because that's our special healing tent session time. Mm-hmm. Run. Mm-hmm. Like the Holy Spirit, you don't schedule the sovereign king of the universe That's right. and you don't have to wait. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have to pay up front before you're allowed to come in and then you go into one of two rooms, I've seen that happen before, uh, run. Mm-hmm. Um, that's ridiculous, especially when it's like, well, you can have one service right now for this rate. You can either be healed or you can receive a prophecy. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely just fly out the door and warn everybody. Yeah. That's called simony. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit does not charge for yeah. his services, nor should anybody else. And if someone prays and or prophesies over you and then tells you to stop taking your medicine, what would you say? Oh, so yes. So there is there is a phenomenon that says um, all mental illness, in particular medicine, is a sin because you don't have enough, the faith is what you need to solve your problem and the medicine's not doing it and it's acting as a crutch for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you need to flush your meds down the toilet Mm -hmm. and then come back. What happens is that if you do genuinely have a chemical imbalance, they're taking advantage of a state in which you are vulnerable Mm -hmm. in order to farm money from you mm-hmm. and that's that well here's here's what we're doing here's the fee for this service we're going to tie this spirit to you and mm-hmm. you're going to pay for this spirit to be removed and it's all easier to take advantage of that person if they're not on their meds a thousand times sure because they're desperate for help mm-hmm. and they're desperate for relief yeah that's right and they're getting it from you yeah but it's now, not real to be clear um God can heal anything period including chemical imbalances that are addressed by yes. medicine but if you receive prayer mm-hmm. for something uh, for a chemical imbalance that you are taking medication for Mm -hmm. and you believe that you are healed in that um, moment, I would say, awesome, praise the Lord. I would say, go to your physician uh, and or your therapist or actually just and your therapist. And I would say, tell the truth. I received healing prayer. I believe it was effective. What, what I, what is a safe way, a wise way mm-hmm. for, for me to essentially put that to the test? Mm-hmm. And can you taper me off of this medicine? Or is this the type of medicine that I can stop taking without mm-hmm. causing fill-in-the-blank side effects? Mm-hmm. And, and that, to me, sounds like an act of faith where you're saying you're going to a physician yep. who may or may not be a believer. But either way, you're saying, I believe this to have been the case. Mm-hmm. I, I, want, I want to be earnest in that. I want to investigate that. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, as my physician, want to direct that process. That sound right to you? Fantastic. 
fit. Yeah. N- again, you should never be afraid of testing anything, um, including healings. Mm-hmm. No problem. I have seen physical healings occur after prayer, physical ones that are verifiable clinically. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we've I've seen I have seen genuine cases in our office of healing prayer over p- robust, profound mental illness mm-hmm. that could not be treated with medicine effectively, yeah, and it was it was healed, yeah. and it was healed by someone who was speaking in tongues. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, great. Mm-hmm. That sounds just like my Lord. Yes, it does. Fantastic. Uh-huh. High five. <laughs> Tell your story. Uh-huh. Yeah. Don't stop telling the story. That's right. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So one of the things we've acknowledged is that this is this does get messy. It gets mm-hmm. complicated. Mm-hmm. And so I would just say, just my little pastoral heart beating in my chest just wants to say, if you're wrestling with trying to deal with your own questions around mental illness, do I need to see a physician? Um, do, am I just stressed out? Do I have an anxiety disorder? Am I depressed or, mm-hmm. am, or the, is it just the blues? I just want to, to say in love, these are like uh, complicated, challenging, nuanced realities. There's nothing wrong with you if you're asking those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people are asking themselves those questions right now. Like right. it's... And, and and I think it, more so than ever before because of the context in which we find ourselves. And so um, uh, it's okay to wrestle with those questions. And, and if it's not clear what your next step is from here, I would encourage you to uh, come to me as a pastor, come to Anna as an apologist, um, et cetera, et cetera. Many voices of people you know walk with Jesus, who you love and trust, who can advise you in a way that, to help you sort of navigate what a, what is a wise step, next step for you to take mm-hmm. so that you, A, aren't taking advantage of, and then B, aren't taking any blessings off the table that may be available to you. Exactly. Does that sound right to you? Yes. Anything you want to add to that? No, that's go team. All right. Go, go team, team, Holy Spirit. Cool. That was fantastic. <laughs> Anna, thanks so much for taking totally impromptu coming in here and spending some time on your day off. No problem. Right. A very great privilege. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs>